It's the 10 o'clock hour of Rosie on the House, our fourth and final hour of the broadcast. This is where we dive deep to one specific area of your house, home, castle, or cabin. A lot of times we bring in a particular specialist or expert in the field or industry or trade that we're covering. And it's uh, our education hour where you learn one element, one component of your home. It's Thanksgiving weekend, though. We got family in, family out. It's kind of hard to ask somebody else to give up a a four-day weekend to come down. So we have a little bit different of a topic today. If you get our newsletter and you've read our article, you already know we're talking about tools. And let me just give you a little backstory on why we're specifically talking about uh, tools and these tools in particular. So we are on the threshold of Rosie's 30th year broadcasting here in Arizona. And we wanted to do something special to celebrate that 30 years. And we've come up with this thank you, thank you Arizona homeowners, the listening audience, for 30 years in broadcasting because he wouldn't be here, we wouldn't be here, if it wasn't for the listening audience. And we wanted to give something back. So this whole concept of uh, this toolkit has come out of trying to find something to give back, trying to raise money for our nonprofits without doing this big, uh, you know, infomercial and fundraiser. What we've done is we've we've got a heart for American-made, American manufacturing, American jobs, American quality, American craftsmanship, and we've put together this toolbox. It's, it's tools every Arizona homeowner should have, and we've worked very hard to find these tools American made and we've put custom thank you for 30 decals and etchings into these hammers and tape measures and toolbox and levels and and we'll go through all the tools in the toolbox through this hour and we're selling them on our e-commerce store it's a great uh, handyman gift idea it's a great uh, opportunity to support Rosie on the house we've got this big a fundraising goal for our three nonprofits, which are St. Vincent de Paul, Habitat for Humanity, and Military Assistance Mission. And we'll, we'll cover what those goals are. We'll reveal it when we officially launch the uh, Thank You for 30 campaign. And uh, it, it's, it's a way that Arizona homeowners can help uh, give back to the community. You're buying American-made products, so it drives the manufacturing and it's a toolkit you'll have your entire life. I mean, these are tools made for a lifetime. So you'll have the tools you need to tackle the most common projects around your house, home, castle, or cabin. And so this hour, you know, how does that become interesting? Well, we're going to talk about the history of these tools. Where did the hammer come from, and how did it get its shape today, and what's a screwdriver? When was the first time we went from a peg technology to a screwing technology, more of a mechanical, and uh, how did the how was the level in, invented? And it, it'll just be a fun way to go back. Do you know where eight D nails came from? What about a sixteen D nail? What what do those sizes mean? And where did the D come from? And you know, those are all the things that we'll be covering in this hour. But 
Uh, we're also going to make this an extension of the 9 o'clock hour as well. If you have a question about your house, home, castle, or cabin, we'll take your call here at one 767 4348 That's one rosie for you, and we'll take uh, do the best we can to help you solve whatever problem you're dealing with around your house, home, castle, or cabin. So before we get to our first one, which is a hammer, uh, it's... I, pretty much in my book, item number one you've got to have in your toolbox. We're going to actually take Rick, who's in Green Valley, and wants to know about uh, new to the area. Wants to talk about freezing pipes. Welcome, Rick. Hi. Uh, thank you for taking my call, and congratulations on 30 years on the air. Uh, great advice. Great show. Thank you. My uh, question is concerning uh, insulation on outdoor water pipe up to the spigot. Uh, what would you recommend for insulation, and is that a do-it-yourself project? It is. It's pretty simple. In Green Valley, you may have two or three days a year, maybe a little bit more than that, that you would really ever have to worry about it. Um, and there's a couple things you can do. One, if you have an evergreen tree in your yard, you can just put a hose on it, and overnight turn it on a small drip you know, moving water won't freeze at least in arizona i mean it takes well below zero for extended amount of time for moving water to freeze so you could keep just a small trickle going all night that would uh water your tree and, and keep your pipes from freezing so you probably have a hose already that's a solution that'll cost you nothing uh, the next step up from that would be getting pipe insulators. You could get them in any plumbing supply store. and You just wrap it around and tape it on tight. That would be the next one. And that'll, it, it'll have a rating. You know, it'll protect up to this degree. And if you want to go beyond that, and you're not going to need to for Green Valley, but if you move up into your higher mountain areas, there are, you know, electric heat wraps you can wrap around your exposed exterior water pipes. That you just plug in and it keeps uh, it keeps it just just warm to keep it from freezing. So there's three great solutions for you. We do get uh, in the depth, even as low as uh, as the Phoenix markets. Occasionally, you know, you get that ten year storm that rolls through, uh, or we'll get snow and it'll stay on the ground for all of three minutes at, at best, or we'll get that one snap. We had plumbers busy for months with uh, and pipes in the attic. Phoenix market. It was just everyone taking for granted that. We don't get a cold. We get a cold. It's Arizona, the desert. What are you worried about freezing? And you get that that ten year storm that comes through it. We're we're getting close to that cycle time, so we'll we'll have another couple winters back to back that that will get some cold freezes and some hard freezes and some deep freezes. But uh, they're they're far and few between, but they do happen. So it's good to be ready and prepared and take advantage of, you know, just. Some really cheap solutions that will deter a very expensive repair. Water damage is extremely expensive, and uh, there's a, a couple uh, solutions for you there. We appreciate the call. It's one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. Now on to the history of the hammer. How how far back you think hammers date, Gary? I'm going to say the 16th century. I'm just throwing a number out there. Or maybe caveman days. Caveman days? Uh -huh. That That's very inspecific time oh. ways. I mean, 16th century, that's a time. I mean, 
caveman days. We had ca- caveman cliff dwellers in Arizona. Well, we have Cave Creek days every year, <laughs> but not the same thing. I guess I'm not going on Jeopardy anytime soon. <laughs> Back to 1500 B.C. was the first uh, first time we've got the smelting and forging of iron has hit the scenes. Uh, but the people that did it know very little about their history. It wasn't anything that was very well documented. So it's it really comes on the scene more in the 1200 and takes over the bronze industry, steals a lot harder and, and immediately for weapons and for armor and uh, day-to-day use. Iron just completely transitions uh, bronze out of phase for anybody that could you know learn this technology and it's a i'm sure the boom for that trade and that skill became huge so have you ever thought what is a ball peen hammer for ball peen uh, ball teen or ball ball peen hammer the the round end on a hammer i've always looked at that and thought what the heck are you going to hit with a ball-peen hammer? You're not going to sink a nail with that? No. Um, now, that has the claw at the end, correct? It's kind of like a C-shape? No, you'll have a blunt, flat end on the back, and on the front end, it's a smaller ball. It's just it's a ball-peen hammer. Well, that was originally designed for making metal bowls. They would get their metal hot, and as it's cooling, they would crack it, and <laughs> instead of having to hand-carve a wood bowl, they're making metal bowls now, and that was the first thing they started using the ball-peen hammer for. But as uh, you know, as they were inventing these things, they, they used a lot for shaping your metal armor, your, your hats and your breastplates and you know, whatever else that, uh, you know, making the, the shape of a contouring the metal to the shape of a, a human— was what they were using the ball peen hammers for. I've, metalworking is something I've always wanted, but I've never uh, dedicated the time to learn the trade. But and th- and now this hammer has one big head, and then on one side one small head. Correct? Is that how that works, or is mm-hmm. it just? And it's okay. completely round on, on one side, and the okay. back side is blunt. Mm-hmm. So, but <laughs> moving... you can make a steel drum out of that. I mean, <laughs> you, you could literally make your own steel drum with a with a ball peen hammer. So. <clears throat> That was uh, so. Now I know. I know what we use a ball peen hammer for. Move forward to the Roman Empire, and the invention of the claw comes along for pulling nails. At the time, nails were hand forged, and here's where we get the sizing. Uh, you would buy nails, and and quantities of a hundred, and the Roman coin. The denarius is where they get the size D, because one D, one denarius, one D would buy you 100 nails. So that's where the sizing of nails has originally come from was the D and what they were using for money. And you could buy. (laughs) It would take you eight days to buy 100 nails, 8D. Eight days to buy? To get to to earn a denarius and... So it, to, to buy 100 nails, it would take you eight days of work. So the invention of the claw became a necessity to be able to pull the nail, reshape it straight, and rehammer it back in. Uh-huh. 
you know, there, there was no getting a bent nail and moving on in those days. I mean, uh, a bent nail, I, I would have to do, I'm pretty sure they weren't working eight-hour days either. It was much more extended. We'd have to do the, the, the time on how many man hours it would take for each nail. I mean, one spent nail is probably 30 minutes of your time <laughs> to, to build up to that because when they say working eight days, uh, I would imagine a lot of the, out of necessity at that time, you know, your your work days, you, you didn't have two-day weekends. No, and you didn't have Black Friday deals in order to get <laughs> double the amount for 20% off. Right <laughs> my next 30 years, I'm going to have some fun. Try to forget about all the crazy things I've done. Maybe now I've conquered all my adolescent fears. And I'll do it better in my next 30 years. Well, that's the point. Always improve, always get better, and we're trying to do that here at Rosie on the House every Saturday morning. You can join us just by simply tuning in, and you can participate in the conversation by dialing one 767 4348 That's one 888-ROSIE4U. Text questions to 411-923 or email if you need to... Uh, to snap a picture and send it along to help describe the situation you're working on, you can send that to info at rosieonthehouse.com. Our 10 o'clock hour talks about technology of tools, the history of tools, the uh, interesting facts. And we're going to continue to move on. We've got an article posted on our blog about it. Actually, no. What is our blog? It was specifically about launching the e-store. Yes. Okay. So, uh, but, so a little bit more on the hammer before we move on to the tape measure is coming of post-World War II, the new housing boom, and the need for homes introduces more production-style building where you would have individual trades come and knock out just this. So that develops more the specializing of the carpenter's hammer. Well, now you've got the drywaller's hammer. Because you would have just a drywalling crew come through. Then you would have a trim carpentry uh, crew come through to do the finishing touches. What you need weight-wise to sink a trim nail into crown molding is a whole heck of a lot different than what you need to sink a 16-penny nail into a 2x4 stud or a 2x6 stud. So we've got all these developments of specialized hammers and now they've got you, you never saw much of a, a change until what do you call it um that that term ergonomical ergonomics yeah ergonomic yeah. design mm -hmm. until that what was that about the last 10 years you started seeing those yeah yeah until then the handles were all pretty similar you would have different wood types that they would try and measure in different design styles for grips but until the ergonomic movement did you really start seeing a difference in the shape where they're uh, instead of just a straight shaft they're designed and they're bented and they're turned and it's all this balancing on creating that perfect strike so when the hammer hits the nail you get a, a solid sink when you don't get bent nails and uh, a well sunken straight nail holds tighter the coatings that are on it you know if you pound a nail in and you bend it and you pull it back out and straighten it well the coatings that they have on it now are off so it makes it harder to sink it better and it, a lot of it has the, the the gripping and the tightening that is needed for it so you've got these 
very funky shaped hammers. And even just for the design of it, I try and stay away. But you pick one of those up and swing it and hit it. You're like, wow, this is this is really something special. And they even have magnets now. How many times have you ever smashed a thumb hammering something? I did that yesterday. <laughs> yeah. So they have hammers now with magnets on the top where you can set the nail and give it a little tap, and that sets it and holds it so you don't need your hand on it to hold the nail any longer, and you can come back and line up and get a good swing and sink that nail uh, as just one of the, the new technologies. Just when you think there can't possibly be anything new or uh, different on a hammer, you've got a new material. They're experimenting a lot with uh, titanium designs now, uh, wood has always been very popular uh, for a lot of reasons, but but just the, the shock. You, you go to a metal hammer all day, man, you feel that at the end of the day. But I choose to use a metal hammer because I don't use it all day every day. I'm not on a framing crew where I'm sinking you know, hundreds and thousands of nails a day. Mm-hmm. And even now they've got nail guns where you just pull the trigger. I may have to go that route next time. <laughs> go, go pneumatic? Me, yeah. Me and nails just... I. <laughs> I will line it up. I will tap in. I was putting in trim over the summer around my uh, windows outside. Mm-hmm. Bam, bam. Got it. Okay, here we go. Boom, boom. Nail bends. Pull <laughs> it out. Nail bend. Pull it. Uh, so. Well, the hammer we've selected for this project is a, a manufacturer by the name of Estwing. And if you've ever been to a hardware store, you've seen it. You've seen their blue rubber handles over a solid metal frame. And that's why we picked it. That solid metal frame will last forever. This is these are lifetime products, but we don't have we didn't pick the blue rubber handle. We actually picked the leather wrapped handle because, as I mentioned, we're putting a a little custom etching on all of these for the 30th anniversary toolkits, and any etching into the metal of this hammer would have voided any warranty. So we've burnt the rosy thank you for 30 into the leather wood-wrapped handle of it the S-Wing. It looks really sweet, too. It does. Yeah. We'll be excited to, to have those available here shortly. So that's a little bit of history of the hammer. That's the warning you're going to get. You want to stay away from me. <laughs> that reminded me of something just now, Gary. Rosie, his workers gave him a hammer for Christmas or his birthday one time, and there is a and they put a whistle on it so that when Rosie was swinging it, it would make a warning sound. <laughs> Rosie, you know. <laughs> Clear out. Here comes the hammer. Because <laughs> he had a way of just whipping it so fast and striking so hard that, they, man, we need a warning for that. So this whistle would give you a little indication that Rosie's out. <laughs> Rosie's at it. Oh, you know, it'd be a mean trick is to put a dog whistle on there, you know, and you'd be working all of a sudden. <laughs> the, the you dog got dogs are showing up. It's like, <laughs> that's a genius idea, actually. That's great. So we had a question. When are these uh, 30th anniversary commemorative toolboxes available? Well, we were hoping to, we were actually hoping uh, a while ago because all the proceeds for these uh, toolkits, 50, we, we've got it priced and set to where they're $50 per toolkit. 
uh, will be able to net out of the sales and donate to our nonprofits. And, you know, this is new to us, and there's just been some setbacks. We had the toolbox. We found the one we wanted. You know, we've got all these stipulations on, you know, where the materials came from, where it's manufactured, where it's put together. And the company we originally found in the toolbox we wanted, we wanted the, a traditional style with a hip top, and you open it up in the tray. You've got a, a retractable tray, you know, something you would see granddaddy uh, in his garage. Well, the first one we found, um, finally, the manufacturer, something clicked, and they said, oh, well, this isn't going to work because we stopped making this toolbox in February. You know, they were just trying to clear out old inventory, and we're trying to send this to the excess that's in warehouses. Right. So we didn't want this. Well, and they, they weren't, they wouldn't even consider re-extending it for a year for this. So then we had to go find another one, and we found two toolboxes um, that were made that fit these requirements. And so we ordered one of each of those, and we did play with those. And so then the one we found and picked, we said, okay, let's do this one. We need X amount. Well, they don't make these until ordered. So we've got a six-week period turnaround time from ordering to receiving. So that set us back a little bit. And But uh, at least for six weeks, you know what you're getting. Right. <laughs> it's custom-made. You know what you're getting. And uh, the fulfillment warehouse we had found uh, – the owner actually sold the company, and the fulfillment house was service was actually discontinued. So we had to find a new fulfillment house kind of in the ninth hour just before we went live. But it turned out to be such a blessing because the one we found uh, is actually not just a fulfillment warehouse, but they also are able to provide the etching so we can eliminate our cost in getting these done. So that was a great uh, you know, opportunity that came out of being forced to find a new fulfillment warehouse. So, they, it, I mean, we thought Wednesday at about 3 o'clock that this was going to be live in time. And had it not been Thanksgiving and uh, everyone closed for Thursday and Friday, it, it really could have been. So we're, we're expecting every intention uh, of it being live next week. And what we'll do is we'll 150 is our magic number. So every 150 units sold will then make our next order because that drives our cost point per unit to the point we're able to net that 50 per for sale. So we don't know if we're going to sell five of these or 500 or 5,000. So the pre-sales will help us determine, but our strategy will be making that next order at every 150 units sold. So we get that price break that we're able to donate uh, $50 per kit to our three nonprofits, Habitat for Humanity, St. Vincent de Paul, and uh, uh, Military Assistant Mission. That's the best part of the toolbox right there. you got the tools you need. They last a lifetime. The money goes the to money the goes local to community, and the products themselves come from American manufacturing. It's just the win-win-win all around. Win. Well, of course, you can't have a toolbox without a tape measure tape measure wow yeah no you can't not at all and until the 19 again right at that construction boom the old stick tape measure was the standard you know you fold it out it would be kind of a folding yardstick for lack of a better term there's people today that are 20 that probably never even seen these in real life before 
uh, I remember in Louisiana, there was still a couple laying around the camp that the, that was your tape measure. You didn't have this retracting device. We had the, my dad had one in the wash house. Um, and it was funny because it, for those that have not, never seen it, it looks like a, a little two by four, but you would just kind of fold it out once or twice. And we played with it as walkie talkies. We had a vivid imagination too. <laughs> <laughs> walkie talkie? Kind of, yeah. Because yeah. it, it looked There's like your antenna. one. Yeah. There was your antenna. Well, until the big uh, construction boom of housing post-World War II, that was still your standard, as opposed to the real, the spring-loaded tape measure. But that technology was actually patented in England back to 1829, and it was done by uh, a gentleman, James Chesterman, who had a need to, to stay in business. His manufacturing of hoop skirt, or the metal for hoop skirts, you know, that market for hoop skirts dried up. So he had this huge excess inventory of metal and these round shapes that he was trying to figure out something to do. And he came through a purpose uh, of repurposing this metal into a rolling measure device that ultimately started the development and the invention of what then got patented by a guy named Alvin Fellows out of New Haven, Connecticut in 1868, which was the uh, the spring click tape measure, first, uh, the first of the market. And at that time, they were $17. That's a lot of money back then. How, how much do you think in today's dollar that would be? 17 And what year, uh, what year would this be again? 1868. Uh, oh. 17 bucks. I don't know, 100? 300. Boom. So that's wow. probably why you saw the folding tape measure is still the popular <laughs> method. You know, follow the money. It it wasn't affordable until the demand from the housing, you know, your you, supply and demand basic rule right there. And, and it comes forward to the tape measure. And we have actually two tape measures. We've got um, <clears throat> we're the first toolkit we're putting together will just be the, for the average consumer homeowner. There are a few items that we wanted to add to the toolbox because Rosie's and his carpenter and it's the tools he would use, but there's homeowners don't have uh, your average carpenter belt that has a sheath for fixed blade utility knives. So for the homeowner, we have a folding utility knife. It's a safety issue. And it's got a clip that you can put on your pocket. So we're we're probably going to have a, a homeowner toolbox and a contractor-grade toolbox. But our homeowner grade will be a Stanley tape measure that uh, that will be in the kit. And the contractor grade one will have this new DeWalt one that has come out. Now, some of these do have foreign components in it, uh, but they're still assembled in America. That was as close as we could find. You know, 80% American-made is better than none percent American-made. You know, hopefully through the demand, we can drive the demand to bring that manufacturing back. But here's here's the, the reason why. The hard cost from the wholesaler, border construction, for the DeWalt version is $24. So that's the hard cost. The Stanley, $4. <laughs> So we had a price point. We also had a goal we were trying to keep this under as well. Uh, and, and it's a metal tape measure for the average homeowner. It's still going to last you a lifetime. Right. It, for a contractor using it day in and day out, it 
it's justified in spending that investment. For the average homeowner, a good metal tape measure is really all you need. Yeah. Yep. So we'll have a standard Stanley 25-foot tape measure for uh, your, your homeowner toolkit, and then we'll have the, the DeWalt uh, upgrade for the contractor package, along with fixed blade utility knives versus folding knives and a couple other things that we'll get to as we talk about it throughout the course of the year. But that uh, that was the history of the tape measure dating back to uh, a necessity to keep his metal manufacturing plant in business. A hoop skirt, <laughs> a hoop skirt ring maker develops the first rolling tape measure device out of the soft metal. Now, you would think that a $300 tape measure wouldn't exist today. Ah, but we have the old U.S. government that probably has one floating around somewhere. <laughs> oh, 3,000 gold plated. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, 3,000 gold plated. That's true. <laughs> so you've got your hammering device. You have your measuring device. What about leveling? It's pretty easy to see when something's level or unlevel. What, what was the first bubble leveler that came along? And this, this part is what uh, I have a hard time kind of putting together. There's an amateur scientist and mathematician who worked for King Louis XIV at his uh, royal librarian that first starts putting together this leveling. And I don't know if you know that, of course, the French were, were the f ones that invented the mirror. Maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. <laughs> yeah. Leave it up to some wealthy nobleman that needs to look at himself every day to invent this reflecting device that now becomes the mirror industry. And that goes back to the 15th century, I believe, if I remember right. Well, that's about the time the leveler came. I don't know if it was a necessity to now level his mirror. You can't have it crooked. It's got to be perfect. I, I don't know. But those two started being developed about the same time uh, through through the Frenchmen. And the it was called the spirit level at the time. The level we have, it's a torpedo level, and it's kind of a, a great combination of all of these things coming together. So your level has a vertical level and a horizontal level standard that, uh, you know, the bubble lines up. It's, it's an air bubble and liquid that lines up perfectly between the two marks, and you've got one that'll go. Every level has one that's both horizontal and vertical. Well, this torpedo level we ha have in the kit has... A, a zero to 90 degree feature on it where you can actually spin it. So if you're trying to develop a straight line, let's say along a staircase or create some kind of sloping accent, if you're hanging pictures or maybe you're building a slope for, uh, you know, like a, a wheelchair ramp or a walking ramp downward, you can actually turn to get the degree angle you want and line up your shot from there instead of just going off of a degrees for a t-square you can now put that it, it's it's in the spinning feature of your bubble That's level neat. It's so a nice leveler it it, it is and, and that one's a, another stanley stanley's been about uh about 50 percent of our products have been have been the stanley manufacturing name uh our tape measure again it, there's one stanley and then there's one that is dewalt uh, which actually is subsidiaries of the same parent company above them. Tool manufacturing is pretty much done by three major players around the uh, 
at least at least what we would call household names. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of more one-offs below that. But next, we're going to come back to channel lock, and you always think channel lock as pliers, but there's a because it's American made. There's a channel lock uh, item in our toolbox that we'll talk about next. But the one thing Daddy liked to do best was song on the screen. So get out the fiddle and rosin up the bow. Look at all will and patting his toe. We'll make music to the rafters ring. Oh man, picking in the song on the string. Song on the strings. Which is funny because handsaw. <laughs> oh, it just happens to be that, next. Well, we're we're gonna go back to channel lock. I mean, for years, uh, the channel it, it, it's like Kleenex. It's not necessarily, uh, you know, it, it, it's the household name for that product itself, and pl- is that type of plier. But they have now made, uh, and and we do have a set of pliers that come from channel lock. You've got three different varieties. You've got your needle nose, your traditional channel locks, and then some snip pliers for something that's got a good cutting edge. But Channel Lock is now making 100% American-made screwdrivers. And this is a multi-bit screwdriver. So you've got your handle, and you can pull one end out, and it's got a small flathead and a large flathead. So you flip it to whatever side you need. And the other side, the other tip, is Phillips head. Do you know when they first used... A Phillips head screwdriver. Okay, that's my question. It has nothing to do with Phillips mocha magnesia or any any uh, no. thing of the sort. Okay, <laughs> why is it called a Phillips screwdriver? Henry Phillips patent the idea out of the need for a solution and the line manufacturing required for the 1936 Cadillac. So it was made for a car. It was made for a car. Okay, that makes sense. A flatter head versus, uh, I guess, Phillips. Flat, uh, Phillips, yeah, for for them, versus the regular screwdriver, which has a kind of a rounded head. Uh huh. So, oh, so it was made for a car. It was made for a car. Oh, I would have guessed a Phillips head was dated more than a hundred years ago, but we're still, what, eighteen, nineteen thirty six. You know, we're we're at ninety one years that that technology's been around. Something that we take for granted as everyday use, the Phillips head screwdriver, not even 100 years old yet. Wow. And <laughs> I thought the state of Arizona was the youngest state in the union, in, in the contiguous 48 states and all that, but the screwdriver's even younger than that. I mean, the Phillips head yeah. is younger than that. Wow. <laughs> so the handsaw, you had brought in the, the program by playing the a, a song about handsaw. Song on the fiddle. Well, they date that one back about 1500 B.C. as well. And in the ruins found through the pyramids and everything, some of the early Egyptian handsaws were a combination of both bone and stone. I, I hope, uh, like, uh, what kind of bone would you look for? I would... I don't, does uh, uh, Africa, the Nile? Did, did are there crocodiles in that part of Egypt? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't think they're quite in crocodile land yet. But when you're thinking bones, you're thinking prehistoric. But that's 
that's too far back, wouldn't that be? I, yeah. I think so. So I don't know what type of bone, uh, but that's kind of the first remnants of, of where they're seeing uh, stone. I'm sorry, uh, saws. There are 16th century Japan bow saws is where the that technology, the, the bow saw goes back to Japan 16th century, mm-hmm. 6th century, excuse me, that they've uncovered and been able to document over the time. And of all the tools that we've talked about from the tape measure and the hammer and everything, design and style, there's very little that has changed in the saw from uh, start to finish. And the, the biggest factor and saws, obviously, is our metal technology, being able to, you know, form those and have the blades and sharpen at different angles. You know, that that's all the, the, the steel and the teeth technology. But the biggest is interchangeable blades. That's That's been the biggest development from one phase to the next in the world of hand saws. Hack saws. <laughs> You've got 10-inch, uh, 12-inch, and a uh, little hand saw, too, as mm-hmm. well. It goes about 7 inches and we do have two types of hand saws that will be in the toolkit. You'll have a 15-inch uh, traditional wood saw by Stanley, wood-handled, nice. that uh, that you can use for quick cutting if you're working on a baseboard project or you need to cut a piece of 2 by 4 whatever the case may be. But then we also have a multi-purpose hacksaw, which you can interchange a, a metal biting uh, bit or a wood bit or whatever the case may be. You, you'll use that a lot for plumbing fixtures, or mm-hmm. if you need PVC pipe, I use mine a lot in sprinkler and irrigation work. A lot of different interchangeable multifunction, but it's uh, the, all of the tools are hand tools, and we got a number of people keep asking, when's it available? When's it available? Well, we were really hoping by today, but we really are. You know the biggest thing I mentioned? It, it's the toolbox is what's holding it up. We need <laughs> the final sample to get in as i mentioned they don't make them till you order them mm-hmm. so it's a six-week turnaround time well we need a physical toolbox to finish calculating the measurements for packaging that's mm-hmm. what's holding us up is getting the final set and even they can send it to you but you know you've got to do the final measurements and the weight that's going to determine the shipping cost so as soon as that the, the, the toolbox situation is solved. We'll have them available. I mean, it, it's going to be any day. But, uh, to join us next Saturday. We're going to be live at Whiskey Row, Jersey Lily, and Prescott for the Arizona Christmas Parade.